Everybody and welcome to episode three twenty six of the Siren Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again by my cheap shot and co-host Peter Hoskins. Jake is on assignment. Yeah, Jake's uh, he's gone over to Europe. He's gone over the Europe division. We're still here chirping in AAA uh, whale shit podcasting. Uh, with this, the in memoriam edition. Um, tributes out, raise a glass to episode 325. Sadly lost. <laughs> lost. <laughs> in, in a terrible podcasting accident. In a terrible accident, much like the one that befell totally real former producer of this show, Brad Grammer. We we buried them next to each other in the same cemetery. <laughs> it was it was um, a very moving ceremony. I mean, the the turnout for the service was great. It was one of it's, it's one of our better episodes. Yeah. Um, but but not here because we're coming at you not from the grave of Brad Grammer. <laughs> we're instead coming at you live from an ice hockey rink in Sudsbury, Ontario. Apparently, where they did the actual filming for the show that we're talking about to you today on this uh, this audio program called a podcast I mean, that's believably canada <laughs> yeah um shorzy uh my, was it a show did we review letter kenny i don't remember i don't think we ever like officially reviewed letter kenny but we talked about it enough on either the show or the stream where we basically reviewed letter kenny fair enough yeah because i was gonna say is this new no is this cutting edge no. Is this what we're talking about today? Yeah. Yeah. Deal with it. Not not a lot of time to to get out to see a movie. Also, there's not a lot there's of nothing movies. hot coming out this week either. Yeah, Bullet Train opens tonight. Yesterday. Or yesterday. Yeah. So that whichever. that was the the most recent one that I wanted to see. I've either seen or have no interest in seeing a frighteningly large percentage of the box office. Yeah, we've reached quite the uh, box office saturation. Yeah. And we, too, have reached trailer saturation. Yes. As we or desaturation, tra- rather, this week. We finally have a week with a reasonable number of trailers. And that reasonable number is three. Three. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, yes. Um, the days of the hours and hours of trailer going over have finally thinned out. And we we just someone got these... opens the episode sees a follow up timestamp of an hour thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Calling that now. <laughs> All right, kids, we've got our ghost car. Like you you pull it up and there's like a ghost podcaster right next to us in the seat. <laughs> They're going at their own pace. I heard if you beat the dev podcaster, you unlock the alternate skin. I've heard that too, but. Um, I've also heard that it's bullshit, and uh, Jimmy Higgins tried it, and it didn't work, so he's saying that Tommy Pickles is a liar. (laughs) I think that safaris have proven that the only viable way way to get alternative skins is to to be rich, is you gotta pay into it. (laughs) 
you got to go hunting for that. It's like we're hunting for a start to talking about a trailer here <laughs> on Trey Watch. Um, let's talk uh, you, about you got me. God's Country. God's Country. Um, so, I, 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 I mean, there's not like a huge amount to say about it. Like, I see the, it's like a. It looks like a pretty good plot. Yeah, I feel like this movie's been done to death, like even recently. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. not not exactly the same thing, but you had men just earlier this year, and you've had a few other mm-hmm. things like this. I guess this is, is focusing more on being a minority in a small town. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, like the it seems pretty straightforward. I don't know if they're gonna do a twist or anything. You, you feel like they have um, to. I don't know why they're calling it like some of these these pop in quotes or these um, pull quotes. They're calling it like an inverse cowboy film. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what a cowboy film is. I know what a western is. Is that a cowboy film mm-hmm. or is that something di- entirely different? I don't know. Uh, and maybe maybe they don't either. Like, uh, so the the plot for what uh, what we got was um, Lady moves from New Orleans up to... I'm from I'm New Orleans. <laughs> I'm from New Orleans. Uh, moves up to, I'm guessing, Wyoming. We're going to call it Wyoming or um, one of the... The big open sky western states. Rocky. Rocky's state. Yes. Um, and she's being stalked by the locals. And the, the sheriff is none too helpful. Until maybe he is. And this is like a buddy cop movie. Except without all the jokes. Yeah, I don't... I think he either gets killed off or is unhelpful throughout the movie because in a lot of the later scenes it's just the girl in the trailer mm-hmm. but i don't know it feels and, and how are you gonna have the final girl if there's the sheriff with her yeah um i don't know this there's there's a slight intrigue to it but i feel like it's just gonna be exactly the movie you you expect it to be um, mm-hmm. Which I hope that she rigged her entire yard with like grenade bouquets, like uh, like Rambo, <laughs> Rambo Last Blood. She's she's digging she's her like, uh, tunnel system. That's what she's splitting all the wood for for cross bracing that, as she digs her tunnels. Yeah, that's why they all that's why they all look at her weird, and it's not because not because she's black, but because like she's covered she in spends dirt. all day yeah. fortifying her her fortress. Just, just the one, just like the ninety-degree genre turn halfway through. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would be surprised, and I might actually watch this if I got a hint that this was going to be like a from dusk till dawn situation. <laughs> I mean, that I would mean, be... there's, I, there's like they, there's a ghost, there's a ghost in it at one point. Like they show the steering wheel turning without anyone in it. <laughs> um, so secret, maybe it could be a secret supernatural. Uh, thriller but i don't i i feel like there there might be like 
it, it almost seems like too weird a town, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I already got the vibe that there was something like weird going on with the town. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I it, this was Sundance, so I guess people saw it and it, it was it got a bunch of no, awards. Th- there I were think. there are a lot of poll quotes about it, certainly. But uh, let's see if it has a six point one out of ten on IMDb. So people have seen it for sure. Um, that doesn't that does not bode well. Ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy six on Metacritic. Um, let's, let's see at the top of you. God's country starts off strong, but becomes flat and really unfocused. So, uh, kind of our okay. greatest fe- fears confirmed, I suppose. So the twist is more of a smush. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a, a, a wiggle, I guess. A wiggle, a shimmy, a curl. Yeah, I was trying to, like, it's like find a... A smaller like delineation of twist. And I was like, it's a turn. I'm like, nope, that's more. That's <laughs> it's a it's a it's a twist or a, or a twisn't a, a twasn't. I t- it's the it's the infamous movie twisn't. <laughs> but yeah, the infamous movie twasn't. <laughs> um, As in, it twasn't very good. Yeah. Um. I don't know how to segue. Just in all, actually, I don't know. I may be the only one out of the three of us who does, in fact, know how to ride a Segway. I don't know if you or Jacob ever have ever gone on a Segway. Um, I've, yeah, I've done a Segway tour. Okay, me too. I I love there there need I need to go on more. I actually I have, I, there's I have a secret hunger. For I've going shaken on the hands with the inventor of the Segway. My God. And what, now, see, now you got to tell the context. Well, Dean Kamen is the inventor of the Segway mm-hmm. and some artificial heart valve, which is the actual reason he has money. Um, right. That, that makes more sense. Uh, but he also founded First Robotics Competition, which oh. is what I did in, in high school. So when whenever you like win a reward on at a big at mm-hmm. like nationals or even like if you just see him walking regals. around no he doesn't usually mm-hmm. when well, he goes to a bigger or i guess what's what's bigger than states is there like a well you go to a regional and if you are on the winning alliance at that regional or win some sort of qualifying award you go on to the national i guess world championships because there's teams from canada and israel and shit um it's like how Albany's an international airport because it goes to Toronto. Well, there are, there are teams from South America and Europe that okay. occasionally show up. Um, but uh, Nationals, during the time I was there on the team, was held in St. Louis. And I was just hanging around the convention center, and he happened to be coming up my way with his entourage. And uh, Was he on a Segway? He was not on a Segway. He was walking he was upstairs. On a at all times. Um and I just happened to be the right place, like time. I was like, "Oh yeah, nice, nice to meet you, face to face like this." And I shook his hand, and he and his entourage went on their merry way. <laughs> and that's that's the end I of the just, story. It's amazing. I just imagine him, and at any time he's walking forward, he is just leaning as he's walking forward. All right. So 
I'll paint a picture of this man. I'm, oh, I'm sure you can okay. look him up. Always, always, always rocking the Canadian tuxedo. Um, oh, ooh, you've immediately made this story ten times as interesting. He's uh, He's got dark, curly hair that's like clothes cropped. And he sounds exactly like Willem Dafoe. He's, I'm something of a scientist myself. Oh, 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 there, there he is, kids. Oh man, he is giving, he is serving Bob Saget energy to me. He is, he is giving me strong, like just visually. Oh, his hair I don't is. Know. His I don't know. I just see this one. I don't know why I thought it was curly. I just see this one image of him, and it's his. Um, I don't know. It's him and at like a. Um, some kind of talk where he's he's doing he's giving the talk on like what I assume is like the prototypical yeah, segue. Probably <laughs> Yes, it's this one, yep. And yeah. Oh, amazing. Like this man he is <laughs> this is like if you turn full house into just one guy. I can hear the saxes now. That's yeah, that's, um, that's Dean Kamen. I see him in his other his other <laughs> denim on denim outfit oh oh yeah he's got he's got many different he's got his formal denims and he's got his uh casual denims i mean it it takes a man of exquisite taste to like you need to have a good fat you know a fashion sense on his level to invent a mode of transportation where most of the time you're you're leaning or swaying like it, just picture the human form on a Segway. And picture the kind of visionary, the kind of Da Vinci you need to build the machine that will fit perfectly to that form. Truly no greater machine has ever been invented, including the aeroplane, <laughs> as featured in our next trailer, Devotion. That was a set play. We <laughs> talked about that beforehand. <laughs> it was a fucking committee decision on that shit. <laughs> you thought that was a random tangent that just happened to fall in our lap? No, we planned that shit. As far as you know. Kids, that was... There's a lit, there's a literal real radar system in my on on my desktop right now to track the the long range arc of that <laughs> Segway missile. <laughs> that should reach so far. Jake's in the background orbit. whipping his hat around. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where he is right now. That's his assignment. <laughs> Uh, he read he read that pun into this cast yeah. so you could talk about devotion the second trailer or i guess it's the first trailer what we had before was a teaser i suppose oh, but um i'll never get used to that they're essentially the same you, we see a little bit more of like the war happening mm-hmm. um and you get a little more uh context about you know a lot of it's going to be uh, him and his partner, I'm sure. His partner's probably not necessarily racist, but, you know. Uh, a man of his time. Yeah. And he, he learns the, the true value of 
of his black uh, brother <laughs> the in arms. The true value of black friendship. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all there. So. In America's Forgotten War. Yes, uh, the Korean War, uh, where my uh, grandmother served in. Um, she didn't actually go to Korea. She was stateside, but she was in the army. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there has ever been a uh, fiction movie <laughs> from a major studio. Like a non-documentary or, yeah. like, you know, informational movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. About it. About it. So this is... Uh, it's interesting just on that merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like there's they're gonna go into kind of the the development of, although like even by World War Two, right? They had seaplanes and yeah, um, like World War Two, World War One as well, but really World War Two advanced the science of aviation by like twenty five years. Yeah. It, there was a lot of figuring out that happened. We learned the we learned about the air a lot in the fifties, <laughs> in a variety of ways. Out of necessity, the air had never been so known, <laughs> and the air had never been so uh, subject Smoky. to extreme conditions. <laughs> you know, all the fire bombing <laughs> and nuclear bombing that went on during that time. Air was forever changed in the, the 50s. generic American family. And every and the amount of cigarettes they smoked. All the airplanes with people smoking cigarettes on them. <laughs> Good God. I want to see a visual of, of, like, all the smoke particulates that everyone smoked from, like, 1950 to, like, 1965 in, a, in like, a vat. I want an industrial vat of all the ash that was ever produced. Dude, fucking in the 1940s, even if you were eight years old, you were secondhand smoking two packs a day. I got, oh, now you got me. All right, you got me on my next search where I'm going to find um, industrial revolution child smoking. Let's find some some good images. Oh yeah, no, these kids are way too fucking cool. All right, Peter's no, got this... a uh, future as a photo researcher on a late night show ahead of him. I am Mr. Jamie. Pull that up because I can get the shots like this. <laughs> that that is like an eight year old with a fucking Churchill pipe in his mouth and. What I assume is another one on his hat. I don't know what that is. I don't is know what that hat. is. I think it might be a headlamp, which is just a fucking fixture for oh, wait, real no. ass flashlight. This is the full picture. Here's the full. I'm missing some context. I, I think this is a rather famous picture, um, but <laughs> it's a little better. Yeah, he's got a little pickaxe. And by better, so I mean much worse. Definitely a headlamp, which is just a actual ass flashlight sitting in some sort of plastic or metal fixture. <laughs> I, it, it, it's a, it's, it's one. You know, 
It's something you won't see too much nowadays. You know, the little six-year-old next to the fucking full-ass mining pickaxe, which I have to assume he was he was meant to be using. Although, I, you know, the other part of me, the cynic, you know, the, the terribly negative person that you always know me as, I'm so famous for, uh, says that this might this particular one might have been a little staged. I I think so or, too. Or a little exaggerated. I feel like I kids feel mine that... and Cole weren't the ones swinging the pickaxes. They were like probably grabbing the little rocks from the from the crevasses. Yeah, I, the pickaxe. I, he may have worked in the mines. His face and hands are a little too clean for me to believe that. Um, but he was not swinging the pickaxe. Also. Uh, it's just in front of this random photo backdrop, so I gotta feel like maybe this was for his ID mm-hmm. badge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he lived. He was. He got a, he got his uh, senior benefits at uh, sixteen. Oh lordy. I'm so glad that I get to just talk in front of a little microphone as I sip iced tea instead of having to ah, coat my lungs and smoke and soot. What were we talking about? Devotion? Planes? Yes. Planes 2? I don't think they ever made a Planes 2. <laughs> I did they make a Planes 2. This is another Transformers 4 situation. I know they made... Did they make boats? I don't think they made boats. Okay. Part of me, like, imagined that. All I remember is that in planes, there were, like, horses in the wild, which, like, only raised more questions about the metaphysics of the planes world. Um, so, as it turns out, there is a planes, too. It's oh, not no. called Pixar. planes, too. But it's a it's a second planes movie. Planes fight. Oh oh oh! There it Starring is. Starring Ed kids. Harris, Dane Cook, Julie Bowen, and Patrick Warburton. I love that. The- oh no! I I love this poster that like. That really puts it out there, or maybe this was all right. This might have been the cover for the the soundtrack because it says on the bottom, "Original score composed by Mark Mancina." You know, Mark Mancina. Yeah, I want to see that movie for his because leading he's singing his singing role in the Smuggles. Um. Again, I just want to once again read off this motley crew of a cast. Ed Harris, Dane Cook, Julie Bowen, and Patrick Warburton. Yeah. What the fuck is this um, movie? Why does this exist? I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about planes. Why does planes exist? It's all Cars was just that good. Um, all right. I'm gonna pull up the trailer. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta bump up these tray watch numbers. I just want to see. I want to hear these voices talking at the same time. Anyway, uh, the last 
trailer for a movie that's coming out in the not too distant future is the Banshees of Inishirin, which is a aggressively Irish yeah. movie that. Sure. I mean, it's a searchlight picture, so like I can see like this being the true premise that. Mm-hmm. A guy doesn't want to be just... friends with another guy anymore, okay. and he's just not taking that as an acceptable answer. <laughs> it just goes to extremes. I see they. This is how you make a trailer. This is how you hook an audience. Like this is the kind of hook that makes me want to watch this movie. Yeah, I just want to see it's what like... the fuck. I mean, the cast looks really good. Uh, yeah, Colin Farrell, yeah. and you have um, Brandon Gleason. Yes. Um. So just dynamite leads and fucking, um, you know, the cinematography is great. Ireland's a beautiful country. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the premise is literally just so good. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell anymore. And Colin Farrell's having a hard time accepting that. <laughs> I just don't I just don't like you anymore. You're dull. People. I don't know. I don't know if men in in the southern climates will understand the kind of quietude that's required for a for a northern friendship. <laughs> Peter and I so, only talk during this podcast. That's it. Silent. Sometimes we talk about soup. We we could talk or not talk <laughs> for hours. For hours, and still find things to not talk about. Talk about. So I I think this will hit home for for a lot of guys. Yeah. This this might be a good this might be a good date movie. So like if your girl's kind of confused like about something that's going on with your with your your guy friends, you'd be like, "Here. Watch this instructional video. <laughs> These are the dynamics that we live with." Yeah, it's going to be it looks like it ramps up like I, I like it too because it does kind of hint that it's gonna ramp up into something absolutely absurd yeah oh yeah they definitely dangle that carrot like are you ready it's time to get it's time to get farcical yeah let's go I, and I'm just I'm so intrigued by this movie I'm, I'm for sure gonna see it <laughs> because I just I need to know if that's it, if that's the movie. <laughs> and if I go and I find out, yes, that's it, that's the movie, it still looks like it's going to be a pretty enjoyable experience. Yeah. I mean, if Searchlight brought Napoleon Dynamite into our lives, like, this this could be of, of, of an echoing caliber. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's going to be of the same caliber. Are we holding up on the Napoleon same level? Dynamite as cinematic excellence? What is it? Wait, look it up. Look what up. Oh No, I said, are we holding up Napoleon holding Dynamite okay. as cinematic excellence? I I think so. I don't. It's I not think. a great movie. How many kids? See, it, they got, the cultural it's impact a... was huge. I will, I will grant yes. you that, but... God, is it a difficult movie to sit through? It is so dull. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was a lot of the world's, a lot of the U.S.'s introduction to, to the humor. concept of an indie movie. <laughs> like, 
we we here when we were when Kurt and I were were school children in the two thousands. I'd never heard of an indie movie. I thought that was one of them westerns. Well, I don't. I don't know about that. And then that. Napoleon Dynamite came out, and it was my big it fat, was different. My big fat Greek wedding was also an indie movie, and it like was one of the highest grossing movies of whenever it came out. I'm pretty sure that when wow. it came out was before 2004. Fair. All right. All right. I'll I'll take it. Also, but 1999 was littered with very prominent independent movies. I reject your premise, Hoskins. <laughs> I reject it on the basis well, that it's wrong. All right. It was maybe maybe millennials' first exposure to an indie yes. movie. I'm not gonna. I didn't. I'm. I'm not trying to say that the indie movie did not exist before Napoleon Dynamite. That would be that would be ridiculous on a on a level unfathomable by man's. Um. But yeah, no. For for. I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should take it back all the way. Cause like, I'm thinking about like like Office Space now. Yeah. Was it Office Space was indie? Yeah. Shit. Maybe. All right. Let me let me try and rework this. <laughs> maybe it was like, I don't know. I think its impact was that it was like like a shoegaze kind of movie. Like a nor, you know. It just had it had that energy that that non energy. I don't know. <laughs> All I'm saying is if if you're if you're in school now, if you are a high school or middle schooler now, just go, go watch this movie. I know. I I don't know if you've seen it. I you probably haven't. You have better things to do with your time. But still, go watch this Napoleon Dynamite film. Yeah, and get a it's... get a heaping get a heaping spoonful. <laughs> of what media we were consuming of the in those ennui. Days. It's only an hour and 36 minutes. I refuse to believe that. This movie is 7 <laughs> hours long. That's it's it's the si- it's the size of like the Wagner ring cycle. <laughs> I swear to god in my mind like it's 14 hours <laughs> of just <laughs> conversations going nowhere and then like Napoleon rides his bike off a ramp and gets no air. And that's the movie. It's, uh, it's such a terrible movie, but like, it's supposed it tries to be terrible, so mm. it succeeds. Yeah, and like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, don't watch the whole movie. There's no reason to do that. Watch the the highlights yeah. and understand yeah. that. Like the whole movie's an experience, and I don't know if I'm better or worse as a person for having this experience, but um mm-hmm. you don't I don't think you need to watch like, the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible to have a shuffle playlist where everything except Napoleon Dynamite is just nothing. <laughs> like this needs to be the kind of movie it's the kind of movie that just needs to come on randomly. And you just start watching it for a while. And then you stop watching it at some point. Yeah, I don't even <laughs> like, remember the first time I saw oh God, it probably was around when it came out, but God damn it. I 
to your point, I I don't I don't think I'd ever seen anything like it before. Yeah. Is Napoleon Dynamite on VHS? Yes, you can in fact get Napoleon Dynamite on VHS. That's how old it is. Now for your youngins, a VHS is a video home cassette. Um it's rectangular. Cassette. Very, very famously starting with the letter S. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's a rectangle. It's got little, little tiny film reel in it. Um, and you, mm-hmm. you put it in your VCR, which is a big rectangular box with a smaller rectangular box, roughly the size of your VHS tape that you insert it into. And it will wind, unwind the film and display yes. an image on your on your television set. Um, now, if you want to advance in the movie to a specific scene, you must hit mm-hmm. uh, fast forward, forward and wait <laughs> the whole <laughs> length of the fast forward to get to the part oh, that you want. You. And then you'll overshoot it by a few minutes, and then you have to hit rewind, which is also necessary mm-hmm. if you ever want to watch the movie again. <laughs> yes. I will say... Um, if you do it long enough, your third eye chakra opens and you gain the ability to stop and fast forward, which fast forwards faster, but you can't see the movie. So you have to use you have to use your Buddha, your sixth sense Buddha vision to tell you when in the movie it's going to be. You, you learn it's a practiced art. Uh, I'm not, I have not been. It's not been in use. It's one of the lost Shaolin arts. Yeah, I, I don't know if I still have it, but yeah, that was a technique. And uh, we've spoken before about the six-hour VHS tapes you used to record your Saturday morning cartoons. Necessary right. skill to develop to get to the show that you want, because mm-hmm. you recorded that whole block. Just- even if you don't like Fred's you, Coconut Island, it's on the tape, and you have to get past it to get to your new episode of Pokemon. That's right. Or you play, uh, what was that? Oh, man, there is some real fucking, real, sh- real sharts of shows. I think there was, uh, let's see, what was it? Daigata Defenders? <laughs> I don't remember. Let's look at, let's look at Friend at, at <laughs> the piece of work that was, Diegata Defenders. What's good gracious? What's this was is, it's big. What? <laughs> yeah. Um. It was they had dice, and and it was it was fuck. It was a WB boarding show. Oh jeez. Now, I don't believe that the rolling of the dice. Like there was there was a there was a magic system of some kind, but the rolling of the dice. Well, this I one don't clearly has it, Phyrexian man on it. Yeah, I don't think it had anything to do. Like you couldn't like roll bad because they like arranged themselves into like a sword. It was they they were more of just like cubes that they that they threw. <laughs> okay. I don't. I may need to go back and watch. An episode that I think that's about all I could stomach. Right. Even my, even me. Let's see. Um, we'll go on now to the follow-up. Um, actually, in a reasonable amount of time, longer than three trailers ought to take. But 
here we are. We're we're, we're back and forth. You know, and... you know what you know what the show is. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Follow up. It's mildly terrifying. Um, opening in first this week with a a very <laughs> underwhelming twenty three million dollar take in forty three hundred theaters. It is DC League of Super Pets from Warner Brothers. Mm, Warner Brothers, which which hurts my soul a little bit because Nope is uh, is not not first as it was last week, and this does is not have that staying power that I had hoped that Nope would. But yeah, we, instead we have League of Super Pets. <laughs> made twenty three million. Made fifty two in every worldwide. fucking theater. Yeah. This is um, summer movie season. Get all your blockbusters out. Um, yeah, we're all out of blockbusters, it would seem. Um, but uh, DC Super League Super Pets it's in our, our spotlight this week. Um, doing okay critically. It's got a seven point eight out of ten on IMDb. That's actually pretty respectable. Um, got a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes in a uh, 3 out of 5 from Common Sense Media, which I think is just like a uh, a parental guide <laughs> board. Like, is this appropriate to yeah. take kids to? It's one of the, yeah. I think it might be one of those. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm looking at their rubric now. It's like educational value, positive message, positive role models. Diverse representation, violence and scariness, sex, romance, and nudity, language, products and purchases, drinking, drugs, and smoking, and it's got a five-dot scale. So it has a one for educational value, a three for positive messaging, a four for positive role models, only a three for diverse representation, um, a three not, for violence and scariness, uh, two for sex, romance, and nudity, uh, two for language, one for products and purchases, and no drinking drugs or smoking present. Um, but who go. gives a shit about common sense media? They're fucking thought police trying to teach you what you can and can't show to your kids. Well, I say nay, nay. <laughs> I say you go. To where the real reviewers <laughs> hang out, you know. They fight, they're fighting the info war. <laughs> in car parks, under bridges, in abandoned factories. <laughs> in old old tax offices. Um, it's real reviewers. Real reviewers. Real reviewers like uh, Sash Chamal's Bender. 35364. Hard to imagine there was anyone else with that username. You know, you got to be real. You got to be real careful. You never know. Mm-mm. 10 out of 10. DC dies it two paws up. Um, warning spoilers. What? Um, okay. It, it, gets, it gets worse from here. All right. DC made a nice movie aiming at kids. My six and 11 year old daughters and me, DC geek. The characters, 
I wanted to tell my kids during, but with like an umlau over the U for some reason. <laughs> during? During the movie, during. but about shouted at, show you what is so great about superhero character. They fit too. Sorry, <laughs> now it gets psychological. Spoilers ahead if you want to guess who is whose pet. <laughs> Crypto. He struggles with a more human sigh, socializing with the other pets and making a decision that could cost him what he wants most. Ace, the bat hound. Gee, I wonder whose pet he is. I'm glad they called him Ace. He has to overcome a trauma, but would not change his past. Both of my children got that. PB, the Wonder Pig. Her power is to enlarge and to shrink. <laughs> Ehe, E-H-E, can become bigger because her heart is so emotional, like that of Wonder Woman, realizing that made me cry. To my girl's delight. <laughs> Merton McSnurtle, the Flash Turtle. He is fast, I... but cannot see very well. And like Flash has to eat a lot of lettuce. This He's probably an actual DC character. <laughs> Merton McSnurtle, the Flash Turtle. Jeep, the Red Squirrel. Has to overcome fear like a green lantern. Lulu, the evil guinea pig, loses its hair like Lex Luthor and is very able to emotionally wound Crypto. <laughs> Spoiler alarm. The key message. This is the key message. What your enemy can, comma, T, destroy is friendship. <laughs> and again... Both uh-huh. my kids took that Utbuf, the movie theater, with accents over the E and A. Theater. <laughs> Give it the chance. Spelled C-H-A-S-N-C-E. 31 out of 50 found that helpful. 31 out of 50. I, fucking, I found that helpful. <laughs> I learned a lot. It got me to learn. So, so in... In classic DC fashion, <laughs> Merton McSnurdle is his civilian name. That's his secret identity. Of course. He's the Flash because, Turtle. Yes, because in when he is in hero mode, he is the terrific what's-it. Oh, no. That is his hero name, is the terrific what's-it. He showed up in, like, one comic in 1944. He was not only a member of the Legion of Super Pets, but also the Amazing Zoo Crew. Oh, man, that Zoo Crew. When we get the Zoo Crew movie? Who who knows? Um, he is not only gifted with super speed and super strength, but also flight and what this wiki calls a, quote, Automatic conscience. It just instantly makes him roll decision. <laughs> All right. I guess. Um, I'll grab. Um, I'll grab the ones that are here. Uh, okay. Because I'm here. Uh, from BG three eight six three zero, 
DC League of Super Pets failed. Beyond the suspension of disbelief, only in a logical film. I left the room perplexed. I don't remember half the film. Too many uninteresting things. In the end, I was really bored. I don't really understand the usefulness of this film. 15 out of 42 <laughs> found that helpful. There are, lot, there are a lot of folks folks on here like complaining about the just the objective like utility of this film. <laughs> As you know, as as followed up here in my five out of ten, this five out of ten from Isaac Ocho Terena, Ocho Terena, Ocho which I will, which I will try and read in the voice of Tielk from Stargate SG One, and fail miserably. This five out of ten review, adequate for children. This film doesn't innovate. It's, it's going to be Michael Dorn. I'm turning into Worf. I'll just read. Yeah, it I was about Worf. to say you sound a lot like. Worf. <laughs> this is more like Worf. This film doesn't innovate. It isn't very interesting, but I think it could be a good option for children and families. The film has many subplots, which appear just at the moment that it seems impossible to continue the story. This is counterproductive, but it is a stimulant for the children to refocus their attention and have a good time. Objectively speaking, it is a predictable, convenient film that sentimentally manipulates the viewer at one point and has a story made to entertain. But it can work if the whole family gets together to see it, and also if you turn off your brain and don't think about the script so much. The animation is not eccentric, but it does not disappoint either. Adding DC characters is more than enough for this story that is mainly about pets and the responsibility they are since these characters are not necessary to develop the story. The second act is the best, as there is a bit of action, and the jokes are better in this part. It is a good movie for children, with a message of friendship and love for our pets, although the adult audience it will be endless due to its many, too many subplots, so it is better to turn off the brain and not focus so much on the coherence of the script. Luckily, the few points in its favor help it not end up being a totally disaster. 21 out of 56. Um, well, open it up. Get on the floor. Everybody, it's Gabe the Dinosaur and his Ooh. 10 out of 10 review of The League of Super Pets has made children love the pets again. <laughs> Warning spoilers. <laughs> okay. The pets of the Justice League were brilliant. The cast of the film were so awesome and very brilliantly playing my favorite DC characters, the Batman and the Superman. This movie will make summer more exciting than ever before. Kids will want to see this movie over and over again. Adults will say it's perfect for the kids and we can enjoy it too, eh? Two out of four found that off. <laughs> oh, I wonder... <laughs> Um, all right, so I went for this three out of ten. There were it was a little tight on the on the low end there, so I went for a three out of ten from uh, from Scott Colflat. Colflat. Col, He's in the Colflats. Um, with his three out of ten, <laughs> and again, I, these ones they're they're mostly okay, but there's like some weird things in here. Um, three out of ten. What is an animal farm? <laughs> If you're 10 or younger, you're probably going to enjoy this film. If you're an adult and taking your kids to this movie, be prepared for your kids to ask you what an animal farm is. 
I don't the writers of this movie gave a single thought to the dialogue they are presenting. The film is lazy. From <laughs> Sentence. The film is lazy. <laughs> From the animation, writing, and directing to the acting and characters, I think that's the most offensive thing about it, is just the lack of caring about putting out a good product that you can be proud of. Adults are definitely going to have to turn their brains off until their kids start asking them to explain the jokes. One out of four found that helpful. I, th- I think a kid knows what a farm is. <laughs> like, I get where you're going at. Like the but book animal farm they probably don't know is his point. That That's fair. Um, oh, wait, which one did I? Oh, did I get rid of the uh, five out of ten I was looking at? Shoot. All right, let me go. I got to go hunting quick. I'll stall for you. Vamp, Johnny, vamp. So, um, okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe it's, so I think it's. <laughs> I don't know if I should be vamping now. Or if Peter's found something, he's being. No, I found okay. it. Okay, I found go it. it. Um, so we'll just go. Cut off your point. We'll bring it back later. I didn't have one. I was gonna. So it's the QB sneak. Um, let's go. We're gonna go with this one from Joe Junior. Is a uh, five out of ten. <clears throat> a woke attempt at recreating the secret life of pets is success. This was a five out of ten. This was a five out of ten. Okay. You don't see it here that often. Nope. But sometimes they, they bubble up. Um, honestly, from a screenwriter's perspective, this film would receive a very low rating for poor writing, cliche predict- slash predictability, tacky and unfunny jokes, etc. However, the animation itself was the only real redeeming quality. For hardcore, or even just average fans... There was a lot of unnecessary changes to characters, their characteristics, some personalities, and strays from the source material. And doesn't use the right tense. (laughs) Uh, um, In an attempt to appeal to newer generation viewers, newer generation viewers won't mind this, but longer time fans might find it unenjoyable. The characters were basically used as gimmicks, similar to Teen Titans Go!, the film's overall plot and plot devices ended up being anticlimactic, no period. The animation isn't my taste, but was well done and fits the modern film 3D style. Music was well-selected and didn't feel out of place. The sound design seemed on point. Production design was decent and showed understanding of film theory. Jokes fell absolutely flat most times. For instance, one character cursing throughout the movie and being censored, Not sure how pre-screening of the film didn't catch that viewers didn't find that part funny. Maybe some will find it funny, but the theater I was in was dead silent. I think most of it came from the film being directed towards kids, but having loads of sexual innuendo and tacky jokes that weren't funny for adults and went over kids' heads. Overall, the film aimed for a newer, younger audience that doesn't attach too much to older source content. Not as reaching as not as reaching as Emoji Movie 2017 or Space Jam 2022, Ooh, but not as well done. Boy. But not as well done as Dora 2019 or Paw Patrol 2021. Okay, I get it. In- he 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 was shitting on the Emoji Movie and Space Jam. Okay, okay, I can accept that. Um, He's saying not it's well not as those. bad as those, but not as good as Dora, which Dora was surprisingly good surprisingly good yes 
Um, not as well done as those in creating content for parents and children. Kids might like it. Adults might not. Seven out of eight for animation. Two out of three for story. Or is it seven or eight for animation? Two or three for story, content, and failure to meet genre standards. <laughs> One out of six. Well, it's like when you show any animal, you're comparing it to the breed standard. <laughs> How do the Say, how do the animals get superpowers? <laughs> like, do, what do you think that's like, like? They just go outside and they roll around in some toxic waste and they can leap tall buildings without a single bound? I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, Fred, I, I think that's uh, think that's very poisonous to animals, and you should never you should never do that to animals. Ah, oh, yes, of course, of course. Uh, yeah. Oh, fucking uh, show. Down down a spot, dropping a hefty fifty eight point one percent. Despite opening in 22 more theaters is Nope. Brought in $18.5 million. To date, it has made uh, $89 million. Old domestic. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder down in third. Down 41.6%. Hardy out of 720 theaters. Um, and has brought in $670 million worldwide. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Um, in fourth, Minions Rise of Gru bringing in ten point nine million dollars, only down thirty nine point two percent, and uh, that's made seven hundred nineteen million dollars worldwide. <laughs> it's not gonna catch it, folks. Thor: Love and Thunder is gonna get beat at the box office by Minions: The Rise of Gru. Um, oh my God! Marvel, hold that L, please, because that is that is a heavy ass L. <laughs> it's a big ass M. And of course, <laughs> Top Gun: Maverick in its tenth week, as we all predicted, still in the top five. I, it's good. I mean, good for devotion because it's gonna come into theaters with Top Gun: Maverick still in theaters, and people could just like double feature that shit. Yeah. Or maybe bad for devotion, because if it's not as good, everyone's going to be like, fuck it, I'll just see Top Gun again. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous game they play. So we'll see. Well, I don't think anyone predicted Top Gun Maverick would be the hit that it was. I don't even think Paramount predicted that. I think they're just very happy that it has made <laughs> $1.327 billion. Holy shit. I believe it's like there haven't been a ton of billion dollar movies this year. I gotta think Top it's Gun gets to be one gotta of be them. one of the, the handful that was. Um can I sort by Like what does this even mean for parent like like I don't know are they gonna try and franchise this now? Like Maybe you, they brought in a lot of they brought in a lot of young actors to play some of the other pilots so mm-hmm. there's i there was a like, sequel you, they or were is paramount just gonna pump it into like random projects or just take the profit? well yeah i mean that's how studios operate just do normal you have movie studio stuff you have your tentpole film as it is and this is their tentpole it just did i'm sure better than uh they were expecting it to mm-hmm. um 
Where the crawdads sing. Yeah, that's down two spots, actually, this week. The six down 26.9%. It's made $68 million in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Elvis, in its sixth week, has yep. brought in another $5.7 million, bringing its total to 238 Uh The Black Phone... Another strong week for that. Two and a half million, down 28.8%. Uh, bringing in $142 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jurassic World Jurassic Dominion. <laughs> Still. I have to, like, it's at ninth, holding from last week, and it's eight weeks in. I have to feel like, for as corporate and calculated a movie as this was, um, I I have to assume it's performing exactly as projected. I mean, it like it made nine hundred. The NASA team made nine hundred thirty four million dollars. Like I, yeah. I'm sure they're fine with that. It was less than the other two Jurassic World films, so maybe they're a little disappointed it didn't break a billion. But mm-hmm. it's their it's Universal's tentpole film, even though yeah, the Black Phone is far more profitable. Yeah, no, uh, for, uh, for sure. So the NASA, the NASA team of marketers in the in the control room at fucking Universal, they're uh, they're finally taking their their pizza break. Um, I'd like to point out that uh, Jurassic World Dominion has been in theaters uh, two weeks less than Top Gun Maverick, and it is behind <laughs> Top Gun Maverick in the box office now. Yep. Um, and opening in 10th is a movie called Vengeance, which brought in $1.755 million. The synopsis is, a writer from New York City attempts to solve the murder of a girl he hooked up with and travels down south to, oh, this is the, uh, yes. Yeah, the, like, like the, the comedy game. movie where he's like, oh, I just met her once and now we got to go on yeah, like a vendetta. The funeral, Austin Kutcher is in it, yeah. And the guy who played Ryan on The Office, yes, I remember this now. Um... It is only opened in nine hundred ninety-eight theaters, so that probably has a little something to do with it. I would, I would, I would go see this. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the big, the big loser here is Pause of Fury, Legend of Hank, yeah. in its third week, down eighty point five percent out of a thousand three hundred fourteen theaters. Just get it out of there. It's made $18.3 million worldwide. Oh, that hurts. That stings. That is, this is... a bomb. God, Paramount. <laughs> Thank God Top like, Gun's I... still doing well. <laughs> I absolutely imagine that the only reason this movie got made like, is to be a tax write-off for the profits from... Uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick, because apparently, like we like we discovered last week, like this has been in production or like been in production hell since like 2014. Yeah, like it's just been hanging around. So it and for it to do this badly and be pulled this quickly, I don't know. This again, this just smacks to me of like financial, like Hollywood, ec- Hollywood uh, economics, Hollywood accounting. Yeah, yeah. Um, they can just they can just say, "Oh, the movie bombed. Too bad." Yeah, it's it's just it's uh it's eighty thousand dollars ahead of 
everything everywhere all at once in its 19th week which was up 61.2% and back in they re-released it (laughs) yeah they I guess this was an extended cut but like the extension was that they had a blooper reel at the end for some of the behind the scenes stuff interesting yeah like a little feature at the end and it's fucking it's me it made money it's the only one in the top 15 that that added um uh that raised in box office revenue yeah from last week it uh what what a movie that's everything been else for is in the quicksand yeah. Um, Marcel the Shell with shoes on that that slow rollout's kind of starting to bite him in the butt now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dropping despite adding feeders. Um, yeah, that's that's the follow up right there. We will move on now to gaming news as we gaming. We should we probably should shove in a, a little bit of entertainment. Oh yes, we we have a few uh, entertainment news, in there. news stories. Um, HBO Max. I guess is uh, and Discovery Plus as well. In the wake of the Warner Discovery merger, uh, is shutting down at the end of 2023, um, and they're going to be rolling the technology stack and content libraries of both services into a new service that will presumptively be debuting either. Um, just before the shutdown or shortly thereafter or concurrent with the shutdown of HBO Max. Uh, No details on what that's going to be called. No details on how much it's going to cost every month. Um, Really no information, just that it's it's shutting down. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I, I remember when we... So... I just think about how we interacted with HBO Max, where when we started, we were still kind of we were still fairly skeptical because this was when everyone was starting to break out with their um, with their streaming stuff. This was during Corona, and everyone was starting to have their own streaming service so that they could show their studio movies at home and kind of get some money off stuff. Um, and HBO was one where like, I don't know about this one. I, I don't know if it's going to be worth it, but yeah, it was 15 of, bucks. A you month. know, between this and Paramount plus and, and Peacock, uh, this one's, this one was the one we've, I feel like yeah, we've turned to the I, most. HBO max. I would say of the two streaming services I use most are Disney plus and HBO max. Um, and it's not mm-hmm. particularly close. Well, I guess Hulu, yeah. Hulu, I guess too, but I kind of, I pay one pli- price for the bundle of Disney Plus and Hulu, so I kind of count those as right. the same thing. And and I guess Prime Video. I use Prime Video a fair of- amount, but mostly just to watch the Yankee games that are on there. Yeah. Um. So yes, uh, HBO Max has been at least in our perspective a very useful and and good service it has a nice library it's one of those things where we just can't have nice things because they're just gonna when it gets too popular well it's not like i i I don't i don't think that that's the sentiment we need to be having here because it's not like hbo max is is getting shut down well i mean it is but like it's more accurate to say that it's being integrated into a new platform like like you said yeah the content isn't disappearing you're going to be able to view this stuff um you know 
presumptively whatever this new surface is is going to have a library that's HBO Max plus you know all this discovery shit which I'm sure there's some mm-hmm. quality stuff that's on discovery plus I just don't know any of it um and that's all going to be available for right. one price so as as a consumer I think this consolidation is is a, a step forward um you know hopefully we'll have more corporate well, versions. You get back to the, the days of early Netflix where you could see everything on one uh, without them having kind of, uh, we'll say, quote, learned their lesson, right? And learned how to really put the squeeze on the consumer. Yeah. Um. Hopefully they'll, they, I mean, that's that's the hope that's all that's all i could say about it um i would say that this is a move to again disney plus is the other very popular platform and they have a combination of you know animated stuff and some live action you know it's the disney library but one of their properties of course is um nat geo right yeah and so with discovery it's kind of happening the other way which is weird too because you would think that like hbo would be would be the one buying discovery instead of the other way around just think of their of where when you perceive the two companies like which one you would think about having more money but obviously that's not what happened yeah it's not like discovery as in just the discovery channel like uh discovery and they they actually they were bought by Warner Brothers or they they merged because their Warner Brothers is listed as its parent company. Oh, I'm sorry, Warner Discovery is the parent company. So I don't know who right. bought it. So it's like a merge. It's some kind of uh, business merge. Yeah, and Discovery Plus has I think stuff from like HGTV and Food Network. I think those are all under the Discovery banner. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> The channels that have, I guess, objectively won the TV wars. Yes. They're all So it has content from HGTV, Um, Food Network, TLC, something called ID, Animal Planet, OWN, which is the Oprah Winfrey Network, or was. I don't know if it still is. uh, Discovery, uh, original programming, A&E, History Channel, Travel Channel, uh, Science Channel, The Dodo, which I know just for cute animal videos i'm pretty sure that's what they just it's mostly what they are yeah um yeah so it's it's a it's a pretty big conglomerate that basically owns cable tv like 90 day fiance is a fucking ratings monster at least it was very recently yeah so i guess with hbo they'll be able to really square off against like hulu and Disney Plus, which are I would think are the two contenders in this arena at this point, the two big yeah. uh, folks fighting for market share. The uh, the fall from grace of of Netflix, yeah, I'd, I'd say on quality, it's it's very easy. Uh, Disney Plus and HBO Max are your two uh, mm-hmm. best, and you know you throw Hulu in on the Disney Plus side because for the price of HBO Max, you can get the Disney Plus bundle, which comes with Hulu and ESPN Plus. Yeah. Which has I need to yeah. So much like many media and corporate kind of things, it will only truly die when people don't care anymore. And that's what seems to be happening. It's not when people are going to be 
if people are outraged or or angry about a service, um, just from the, the my layman perspective, um, that that usually doesn't end to a company being like shuttered or anything like that, or like you know, kind of really dropping. It needs to unless it's like a something they really fucked up, you know. Um, but usually it'll be they just people just don't care anymore and they just don't uh, they don't do a capitalism on it and the free market slowly chokes them in the corner and uh, yeah. watches them pass out from lack of financial oxygen. And on that uh, related to HBO Max, um, apparently they're not going to release the Batgirl movie anymore. Now, I've heard, I've seen actually several articles about this with several different stories about why it's not being released. I've heard that um, in test screenings, it was so bad that DC feared it would do damage to the brand if it were released. I've heard it was just that the new management wants to shelve anything that's not going to be a big tentpole blockbuster, and this was Mm -hmm. a, a... lower budget movie that was planned for release on HBO Max. I've heard that um they just didn't they wanted to cut everything that was in development when the new management mm-hmm. took over. So I don't know what to believe. Um I I will thoroughly believe that it was not shaping up to be great because I could very easily seeing a lower budget Batgirl movie um, in today's movie-making climate from the same company that brought you Birds of Prey not being very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I guess the people... I don't even think people are, are surprised about that. Um, I think, yeah, I think a lot of this is just the fact that it was done um, in post-production. Finished, essentially. Uh, four months away. Yeah, four months away from release. Uh, and that's and that they decided to can it at that point is is pretty unheard of. Um, I mean, it's rare. And, I wouldn't say it's unheard of. And usually, when it 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 does that, it's for a reason like a management change that just wants to scrap everything in development, or it's bad enough to the point where they don't feel that they're going to make any money off of this. And don't want to spend the money on marketing, and will just eat the production cost of the movie. Who knows? Uh, certainly not us. I'm sure. Sure, somewhere down the line, this movie will find its way into existence. Um, but it's not going to be anytime soon. As we go on we remember that we are in the gaming news segment and uh, with it being gaming news we will talk about uh, sad news if you are still holding out hope that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is going to release anytime in the near future Mm -hmm. Um, after 15 years in development uh, it's just now getting a new lead writer which um, is good and bad news Good news is it means it's still being worked on. Mm-hmm. They haven't canceled it yet. Uh, bad news is probably means they're not very far along. No, I. This is kind of an I want to get off Mr. Bones' wild ride situation where it's like, 
I, I know very few games that have, I, I don't know if any game ha- that has been in development this long has come out. I know of one. Now, which one is that? DNF. Huh? DNF. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's got to be the one. Because, uh, like, it's not not great prospects. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a scary time. You're out in the ed- the edge of the cosmos. Um, and beyond, well, yeah, it's beyond good and evil. Gonna be able to like if it does, that's gonna be another like modern gaming story. Yeah, I'm sure it'll sell pretty well just based on the intrigue of oh my god, this game's been in development for so long. What's that like, yo? Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it will it'll probably do well if it does mm-hmm. ever see the light of day. I would not, yeah, um, not count on it. Yeah, I. You you have reminded me though. Uh, quick shout out. This is gaming news. I think from from last week, but we missed it after our show. Um, because I'm kind of obligated to do this. Um, no Man's Sky has released another update. Um, this one is the Endurance update, which I believe the main thing is that it is an update to the space freighters. So your freighters are have more have more shit to do in them, and you can kind of actually actually be creative with them so instead of just being a a uh basically a pokemon pc box in space like you can build it out into like a garden or an industrial factory or like a residential quarters kind of setup so you can you know actually use your space frigates for for a bunch of different stuff um yeah okay that's that's the quick no man's sky update uh i guess the fucking the forever game yeah dead ass um the creator of disco elysium was looking for artists with a quote love of sci-fi and space suggesting that perhaps their next project is going to be a similar game or perhaps a completely different game um in space space the one place that yeah. hasn't been corrupted by corrupted by spies. spies. It's where, uh, God damn it, Harry! I'm going to space. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I gotta think we'll have a review for that by the end of the year. Um, I've I'm ready. I know you. T- I've been I've been fucking uh, slow dogging. I don't know. It's just like part of, i it it's hard for me to pick it up i don't know cuz it's summer right now and i'm like it's sunny out and i'm like i just want to go out in the park and play and i i pick up disco elysium like oh no it's it's march weather <laughs> it's march yeah, vibes um it's uh it's pretty good but also on the on the on the note of finishing things yes um i guess i beat hades Hey, you got like the just the last before ending. we started. I got the I got the real ending. Um, it's clever how they. Uh, well, it's not that clever, but it's clever that they put in a contingency to explain in story why you can continue to play the game <laughs> after the the ending. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a pretty it's pretty satisfying. I I was kind of disappointed though because um, as part of the ending, you don't actually have to fight Hades. He just admits that yeah, he kind of did you a little bit dirty. Ah. And lets you go. And I had a really nice build going. I was like, I want to see how fast I can shred Hades with this thing. <laughs> and just... I didn't even get the fight. I was like, God damn it. He let you Why down. I spend all this money on boons if you're not even going to fight me? <laughs> it's all been hoisted. Uh, yeah, that's it's a long time coming. A couple of years, right? Yeah, I mean, I I put it down for a while. I just recently started picking it back up again because I've been playing a lot of Slay the Spire recently. I'm like, I like this, but I need a little more action right now. And I was like, hell yeah, Hades. I'll switch it up, yeah. Um, So there was a rumor put out recently that uh, Google was going to be shutting down Stadia soon. Um. Google has since come out and denied the rumor that Stadia is shutting down. Which but which means more than is, ever that it definitely will. That is shutting down. Yeah. Uh, this is the same company that, like, earlier this year or late last year said that they're going to redouble their efforts of uh, first-party Stadia development. I mean... And then shuttered all studios. I, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, zero times two is still zero. <laughs> oh, it's worse than that. They shuttered the doors of all their in-house development studios like three months after they announced that. So in about in about December or January of next year, Stadia is gonna go bye bye. <laughs> oh, what who, a who fucking! Who would have predicted this? Completely unexpected. What an absolute boondoggle! <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm glad at least they're gonna make the rational decision to you know close it down well i feel bad though because like people paid like full price for their games on the platform and when they shut down the platform in like four or five months they're gone forever i hope they're not gonna do it but i hope to god that they give them some sort of reciprocity for the value of their library now if i was if i was an enterprising businessman um, I it would be a th- now this would be another gamble. This wouldn't be another bold move. Um, but I would give them free games at, from Steam. If I was in, working for Steam, I would say, "Hey, Stadia is closing down. You know where you can get all your games, and you know, show us your library. We'll we'll give you your collection on Steam." Um, the issue with that, and I feel like anyone who has a computer that was capable of playing these games probably would have bought them on Steam and not dicked around with Stadia. Stadia was geared more towards people that wanted to play the newest games, but didn't want to, like, buy a console. Hmm. Or, Or they sold them on the idea that it would, in fact, be, like, a better quality gaming experience than the current gen consoles. All right, in that Which case, yeah, I got I Xbox got One, PS4. You. No, it's just it's just shitty, and I I warned, I I spread yeah. it. This, I'm glad Jake's not on the show because for whatever reason he cheerleads Stadia, <laughs> like he he 
he's deeply invested in it financially and personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. But uh, we warned from the start that it was a it was a bad idea. Cloud gaming is not ready for prime time. We are mm-hmm. like a internet technological breakthrough away from it being viable. Yeah, we've taken a we've taken a pretty uh, conservative, I'd say, stance on new and budding services technologies right and we have been wrong a fair amount of times but when we've been wrong that means that the service succeeded and it's been a good thing um but this is why we take that stance this is like the very you know this is caveat emptor um taken to its its logical conclusion like you know when we're wrong about hbo max hey it's a it's hbo max and we can all watch our services when we're and when we're right about Google Stadia, we just saved ourselves from blowing a fucking games collection on a service that's yeah. going to evaporate into into thin air. And a service that like never really worked well. Like my experience with cloud gaming has been pretty hit or miss in the same environment. <laughs> like, you know, some mm-hmm. days I'll stream a game on uh, xCloud or whatever the Microsoft Game Pass included cloud services and it works really well everything's you know good the picture quality is not too compressed or blocky or anything like that and then another day or even later in the same day it's absolute fucking garbage the input lag makes any game where timing is important unplayable and the image quality is disgusting and it's just not ready yet (laughs) yeah just it's i you got it the only the the best way at this point is just to you gotta get the game like the the, the your own copy. So in That's a uh, in a bit of exciting tech news, uh, Intel's thirteenth gen, uh, I assume this would be their i seven part thirteen seven hundred K, has reached the six gigahertz milestone. Oh. Um, we've been kind of stuck on, on five, 5.1, 5.2 for a while. Um, which it kind of seemed like we were reaching that limit and that's why chiplet designs and core counts have been going up because that was the next frontier for innovation. But, uh, overclocking enthusiasts have something to look forward to if this leak, um, turns out to be representative of all I... 7, 13, 700Ks, and this wasn't just a golden sample, but someone leaked a screenshot that showed a 13700K running at 6 gigahertz across all eight performance cores, and it appeared to be doing that without the aid of sub-ambient cooling, so no uh, liquid nitrogen or anything like that. Um, the result was sent anonymously to video cards with a Z and shows the CPU scoring a massive 930 83 points in the CPU-Z single-threaded benchmark. For comparison, a 12900K scores around 820. Um, Good or God. A bit, bit more depending upon the uh, the memory. Um, AMD's 5900X scores about 660 for comparison's sake. <laughs> um, a second result comes from Twitter where... Esperon Sali showed a 13700K at 5.9 gigahertz 
with the e-cores and hyperthreading disabled. The system is shown running Cinebench, which means that it isn't some glory screenshot. The voltage was sitting at 1.447 volts, which is, um, I mean, obviously the spec for every chip is different, but if you said to me, uh, run 1.45 volts for your CPU, I'd be like, fuck no, that's way too much. But uh, temperatures hit the 80s, but that's about it. Uh, the cooling wasn't disclosed, um, though. So we don't know exactly what they were using, only that they weren't uh, busting out liquid nitrogen or uh, ethylene glycol chiller. Right. Um, <laughs> anything subambient, phase changing. I'm just imagining uh, Dan Aykroyd running running crystal <laughs> crystal skull vodka through his uh, PC. There's no glycol in it. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's a cousin to antifreeze. <laughs> no, it's not, Dan. <laughs> triple. I've triple distilled this PC water through diamonds. Herkimer diamonds. Herkimer diamonds. It's double terminated quartz. Let's not get too excited. <laughs> um, and in sad news to, to end... Uh, Activision Blizzard has earned more on mobile games this last quarter than PC and consoles combined. More than half the company's revenue in its most recent quarter came from mobile. Um, Diablo Immortals purportedly brought in like $100 million, $105 million in revenue in the quarter. Um, and this is this is the problem. This is why... People or companies will keep shifting focus to mobile games mm -hmm. with this kind of gotcha business model because they make money hand over fucking fist. And it doesn't matter if you, me, or half the fucking population of the world realizes that it's a shit fucking game. One or two whales means mm -hmm. more to the company's bottom line than like 12,000 regular users. Yeah, like it's it it's almost like it, it feels to me like a version of the scheme from from Office Space or from like I guess Superman three, <laughs> right? Where they're just where they're just kind of stealing rich people's unnoticed money, like because that's what it is. Like if you, when you're spending at this way on a game, right? I have to imagine that you don't have full concept of what kind of money you're putting into it. But the company who yeah, who you're giving it to or you're spending it on, they definitely know, or they know better than better than you. Yeah, you know, because if you're spending this on a game, then at some level you're not worried about losing this money. You know, I mm -hmm. what hurts is the folks caught up in the middle of it, right, where they're trying to spend at that level, but. They're not the demographic that can do that. Yeah, it's it. They have to take money from something else. Yeah, that's that's the worst. And the predatory model of this game is meant to, uh, you know, victimize people like that. There's no other real word for it other than victimize them, taking advantage of people with addictive personalities. And it's 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 really gross. But unfortunately. It's really successful, so they're going to keep fucking doing it. 
Um, but on that terrible disappointment, it's time to talk about Shorzy. As soon as I put the marker in the... Okay, Shorzy. <laughs> Got to say it after the marker drops so that when people skip ahead in the timestamp, they, they're confirmed that they're correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Shorzy is a six-episode spinoff series from Letterkenny that follows Shorzy um, and his... Adventures post the last time we saw him yeah. on Letterkenny. It's, he just sort of uh, fucked off at some point um, and and went to a different town. He went up to Sudsbury uh, and just wanted to keep playing hockey because <laughs> the, I guess, yeah. I think the Eagles in the show, they folded, right? Or they... I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. All I remember is... I think they might have just aged out. I thought it was like a... He could be. Like, he's just full-on, like, senior team um, guy now, yeah. So, he's it's, yeah. it's a very short series about this stretch of, you know, four or five games at the end of the season um, where they wanted to, I guess... Like, the, the plot of this is so subdued. As I mean, as as expected, like this isn't this was never going to be a high stakes. Nothing with Letterkenny was going to be high stakes. Um, no, um, and I do I do feel like it is. I enjoyed it more at least than some of the latter seasons of Letterkenny because, just by the nature of the show, it's it felt a lot more focused. Right, like. There, there was, there was a clear objective laid forth, and everything in the show advanced that objective. The, the sports writing, the sports narrative arc, was of a great boon to Jared Kiso in the writers' room. The yeah. season didn't just it, kind of have to end, like many seasons of Letterkenny seem to do. Yeah, and it just. Uh, it is, if you're a fan of Letterkenny humor, you will enjoy this show. If you're not such a big fan of Letterkenny humor, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to like it so much because it is still Jared Kiso's. <laughs> this is his, yeah, humor. this is, um, this really is the true essence of a spinoff where it's the same, um, the same essential content, but just some different characters, some different focus. And yeah, so uh, so he had back when he was doing YouTube shorts, right? Back when Letter Kenny was like, "What's life on the farm like?" You know, it was like a five minute video or whatever. Um, he did the Letter Kenny stuff, and he also did a couple segments where he was like the obnoxious hockey player, doing what he saw, you know, as as what Jared saw on the TV is like, you know, typical egotistical hockey player. Um, well, I'm sure he's seen it in his youth. Because I'm sure he played hockey. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just the kind of stuff that he saw amongst the the most asshole hockey players I saw growing up, and that was his other character that he did that I remember of. Um, so one became Letterkenny, and this one became Shorzy. Yeah, who was a uh, you know gag character in Letterkenny, who had maybe. 15 minutes of total screen time yeah. across the 10 seasons. But 
if that those fifteen minutes were gold. They were, um, but it was a, it was a very <laughs> narrow character. Right. So the the decision to spin that character off into its own series was kind of strange, uh, a bold yeah. choice, especially considering the fact that Jared Kiso plays both Wayne and Shorzy. And the whole joke was that you never saw Shorzy's face because he was so obviously being played by Jared Kiso. However, they did not commit to it in this show. The opening scene they keep, or the opening couple scenes they keep away from showing his face, but in the first episode, in the first five five minutes, you see uh, Jared Kiso... Um, making modest attempts to differentiate <laughs> yes. the aesthetic of the two characters. <laughs> Very modest attempts. And thankfully, yeah, Wayne never Wayne never comes into the picture at all. I think the only the references to Letter Kenny are fairly minor. There's like one flashback and Pupper shows up. And and I, I think Gus and Brew as well. Huh? Gus and Brew as well, okay, I believe, yep. also shows up. Yeah. Yeah, and they he does reference. I mean, one of the characters is another character in. that was on Letter Kenny, like the um, the Quebecois. Um, yeah, Jean Jacques. Jacques Jean. J. Jean Jacques Jean. Let me let me see if I can't yeah, find his name. Like that. that was that was good. There's a lot of there's a lot of French jokes. Um. Pardon the pardon the quietude. We're trying to figure out this guy's yeah. name. Um, it's it's JJ Frankie. Yeah, Jean Jacques JJ Francois Jacques Jean. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> JJ Frankie JJ. JJ, Frankie JJ, JJ. As he's, <laughs> um, yeah. So oh, the other characters besides Shorzy are, oh, I guess Sanguinette also is. Yeah, Sanguinette is the deuteragonist. Bit. You might call it. Of this of yeah. this season, um, he's a, a native man um, who uh, is a, as you are told several times in the first episode, a healthy scratch on the last place team in the no show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's he gets to be kind of the straight. I, I would say he gets to be the straight man. Against the uh, uh, that's Shorzy fair. and his absurd gang, because um, the plot his gang of of characters that are literally written designed to be one note characters. <laughs> like they make a joke about how one note they are, <laughs> <laughs> which is perfect when They're it's when recruited. it's six episodes. Um, yeah, yeah. So well, there unless the highly likely there's going to be a second season. Which kind of pisses me off because the whole like stakes of the show, I guess, are just kind of spat on by the end of it. Yeah, they do kind of blow it at the end. I was like, "There's because we've seen enough sports movies which break both ways on the you need to clinch the the winning game." We've I've seen stories that break where they do where they get it, and stories where they don't, and they're both yeah. told in pretty consistent ways. Amongst you know the uh, you know however the story turns out, um, this kind of doesn't do that, and the way it ends, yeah, just just kind of go, oh oh, I was with you and and you lost me, okay. 
I mean, I guess they 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 wanted to test the waters um, to see if this show would be popular. I don't know how popular it was. They left the door open for a second season, but they also leave the door open for it to just end and uh, mm-hmm. that be internally consistent with the logic of the series. Um, my inkling is Hulu likes doing business with Jared Giso. I can't imagine this is a particularly expensive, it's probably more expensive to film than Letterkenny. Yeah. Uh, just because of the, the hockey aspect of it, yeah. Requirements. Um, but <clears throat> it's probably not that expensive. Especially if you're shooting it in short series format as opposed to full yeah, season. It's, it's content. Yeah. Content for your, your and streaming it's, it's service. And can con so too. I, I would I'm sure. probably... I would probably expect it to be picked up for a second season. Yeah. Um, um, overall, I thought it was pretty good. good. I, like I said, enjoyed it more than the latter seasons of Letterkenny. Um, there were some episodes... I didn't care as much for the music choices in this series. It's a lot of, like, not great hip-hop with, like, techno edge yeah. to it. <laughs> um, it's definitely um, a different, it's definitely a different weird vibe. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's out there. Um, it has the highs of Letterkenny and the lows of Letterkenny in that, like, I would all right. So I'm gonna make a weird, a weird hot take here. Um, I'm gonna say that Cherokee and his writing team are are on the edge of comedy. Now, when when I say that, people think like your first instinct is to say, "Oh, that you." So you're saying he's like on the leading edge, like the progressive, like he's he's building the new frontier of comedy. And that's not quite what I'm saying. I'm saying on the bell curve of comedy, right? You want to build it so that like only 5% of your jokes fall off that like don't, you know, maybe don't make it. And you get the 95% confidence interval <laughs> where all your jokes make it in. <laughs> this is not that. Like this is very much like he just goes for jokes. And if it's funny, yeah. then you'll laugh at it. And if it's not, you're just going to sit there and go, "I, I no." This is just not funny, but he's not going to try and he, he doesn't hedge his bets. He's unapologetically himself. Yeah. So you, there are moments um, like the first episode and I'm not, it's not even spoilers for the first episode cause it's, you know, just one, but we, I joked with Kurt that like the first episode was like if Daft Punk wrote comedy instead of music because <laughs> there are like three or four lines that the characters say in this whole episode, this 20 minute episode. And that accounts for about 80% of the dialogue is iterations and repetitions of those like three or four dialogue lines. Which is a criticism I've had of several episodes of letter Kenny. Um, And I, it's, it is just as egregious here, but since it was the first episode, I, I gave it a little bit more of a, a pass. And then in the later episodes, it's not quite as bad as it mm-hmm. is in the later seasons of Letterkenny, where you spend 
10 minutes iterating on a joke. Yes. And um, it's a little more uh, in service to the broader narrative. story. And yeah. a lot of it is uh, just fresher material to me because, you know, I haven't seen all of Jared Kiso's hockey videos. You know, this is this is a, a area that, you know, they do a little bit of hockey stuff in Letterkenny, but it's not the main focus. Mm-hmm. So the material is a little fresher. They haven't exhausted it because they haven't done seasons. 10 seasons yeah. of just hockey stuff. Um, so I, it was, it was near to me. I found it funny and enjoyable and, and the show it's, it's an easy watch. It, it didn't, I started watching it on like, yeah. oh, I'll check this out. And then all of a sudden I'm like four episodes deep and I'm like, well, might as well That's fucking finish exactly this That's exactly what I thought. Like I was, it was Wednesday night and I was like, I'll watch half of it and then go. And then I saw those 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, this will be an easy half of it and then watch half of it tomorrow. But yeah, in terms of bingeability, he really does like, <laughs> he does set up a pretty hard cliffhanger at the end of episodes. Where it's like, yeah. okay, well, this was a short episode, and you really didn't resolve. Like, there was no strong resolutions. I guess I'll watch the yeah, episode. I gotta see what I guess. And see I guess happened. that comes was... back in the ass to bite That's him it. at the end of the season, where there's still not a strong resolution. Like there is, yeah, I guess. But we we just talked about how they kind of flub the um, the stakes there to try and set up a second right. season. So that's the spoiler-free talk. We'll we'll talk briefly on spoilers. We're not going to run it down episode no. by episode or do a blow by blow of like what jokes worked and what jokes didn't. Um, you know, that's that's for us off screen to to quote yeah. it and have no one else know what we're talking about. The one about. thing, if, um, if I have to say one, is that there is one recurring joke that that hit just right, and that was the uh, sticks are unbelievable. Cause he yeah, Shorzy's Shorzy's pal Goody. He's just like one of his um, stoner buddies or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if he's supposed to be a stoner guy or just not very bright or whatever his deal was, but he loves chicken, and half of his lines are just X, Y, or Z is unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable, man. <laughs> and and a good third of the of all his lines are specifically sticks unbelievable because. They have ice. They they have ice cream several they times. Have drumsticks. Yes, drumsticks after that game, and so in any of those scenes, I'm pretty sure he says that every time he's eating a drumstick. Yeah, um, for sure. And then the other member of the crew is uh, this uh, black uh, rapper, uh, hockey yeah, player, which Dolo. is which is rare. He's also a rapper, Dolo. Uh, only speaks French, um, mm-hmm. except. The times he doesn't speak French. Yeah, I think that's like Which, it's like a like I guess the joke is that it's like an artist thing, where like he can speak. Yeah, he's fluent I mean, it, in English and can speak. He knows English. I mean that much like much like most people from Quebec, they know damn well what you're saying to them, but they pretend like they don't because they're assholes. Right. <laughs> and that's that's very that's reflected very well. Letter Kenny is that both JJ Frankie JJ and Dolo. Um, they speak French only, but it's never an issue. Like, I don't think it, maybe once in the whole show, there's like a, tra- like a language barrier, but because Canada is, is bilingual and they're, you know, they're trying to be a pretty platonic ideal of, of Canadian life. Um, everyone is just, everyone can just rock both languages. Like it's nothing. 
well, if you border Quebec, chances are you're going to speak, you're going to know French. But, like, people in British Columbia, I'd say, are probably less likely to know French. They'll know more French than your average American yes. will. But um, Quebec's just kind of an asshole about being French. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they kind of force the French issue <laughs> on everyone who goes to Quebec. Mm-hmm. Like, the primary language on street science in Shane Quebec is French. They'll be English. And people there, like I said, pretty much all speak English. Um, sometimes they'll pretend like they don't, even though you can tell by the way they react to what you're saying that they clearly understand you. <laughs> and you're just trying to figure out where the fucking hotel is. <laughs> I wonder if Gert has a story about this. I, I speak I speak not from experience, just, just hypothetical, of course. Um, it is... I did notice that he kind of... Uh, so the the plot is right that they're losing their league and they have to turn it around. This is like, this is I don't know. This is like um, Ted Lasso's like R-rated cousin, um, where they have to yeah. turn. It's the well. it's about local sports a, as like a comedy. Um, so instead of being like this the sugary wholesome delight that is Ted Lasso, this is a little bit more. You know, it's like a good whiskey. Uh, it bites you back a little bit. Um, but I did notice that, like, so he has to turn the team around. So he recruits these just a bunch of a bunch of characters, a bunch of dudes. Um, and he yeah. ends up, like, creating this kind of, like, concentrated Canada. <laughs> like, he just squeezed <laughs> all the different, like, Canada demographics he could think of into one... <laughs> And crams him in his uh, his Range Rover or whatever. Because, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we've got um, Newfoundlanders, um, natives, uh, as aforementioned, Quebecois, um, black folks, and, and his... Because, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> no, no, I know what you're trying to say, but that was just like the most... Did not stick. I'll be fair. I did not stick that. Um. (laughs) But yeah, you have your little microcosm of of Canada um, represented amongst the the core group. You have the the Irish part of Canada, you know, a lot of Irish people in in Newfoundland, Um, your your Quebecers and and all that, your natives, obviously, heavy presence of, of natives. Mm-hmm. And this more so than uh, regular Letterkenny, I feel they're a little more prominent. Yeah, like because um, they're there for the at whole least season. As central characters, yeah, and there some of them are central characters. One of them is, yeah, like, like you said, the Deuteragonist. Three of them actually are really central characters. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it is it is a sports comedy, um, but not as by the numbers as a lot of. You know, sports comedies tend to be. It's got a little bit of uh, its own personality to it. Uh, but yeah, they're they're own. They lost twenty games on the season, one unknown amount. Uh, but since it's an only only a four team league, everyone makes the playoffs, I guess. Yeah. And the deal they make, the the general manager wants to fold the team. Shorzy doesn't want that to happen. And <laughs> Jared Kiso, one of his great 
assets as an actor is uh, he has very good humorous facial expressions. And one of Shorzy's character traits is that he cries very easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when he gets told that they're going to fold the team, he has the most hilarious about the cry face <laughs> that I've seen in quite some time. He's got that on a fucking light switch. Like, that's, I mean, that time and then during the anthem. What is Yeah. That's excellent. Um, yeah. Like, he's, and there's the one, there's the one at the end of the season. Like, his, it's, it's funny because, like, he's, he's this real, like, shit talking asshole, but, like, he really, he's really sensitive about his team and about his, the, his reputation. And, you know, when his team's in danger, he's like, no. <laughs> you got to do it, Shorzy. No. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, he gave him some dialogue quirks uh, to kind of differentiate him from, from Wayne. You have that the the very, like, expressive emotional spectrum there and uh, his trademark, yes, so. Yes, so. And uh, where he, his, this one was one that just did not hit for me, where he interrupts anyone anytime they ask a question, or he asks them a question, he goes, hey. And they they have to stop answering yeah. his question and then start again, which I have to imagine was fucking hilarious for them, for him and his crew. Like that's that's fucking comedy gold, but it does not do yeah. it for me. It's it gets in the way for me. I feel that way about a lot of the the Letterkenny jokes that don't land. I'm sure they were they were all yucking it up in the writers' room when they came up with that, but it did not translate to a wide audience. Yeah. Or, or at least this audience mm-hmm. gestures towards himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, they they threatened to fold the team, so he brings in his buddies with the objection of never losing again. So the, he brings in his crew, and then he recruits the gyms, which are uh, three prison guards. security guards, all named Jim, all happen to play hockey. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, they are essentially they are, they are basically it's it's that's another Letterkenny joke where they kind of have a group of characters who just do their shtick. It's you know yeah um, like it it's the same thing it's it's basically the same thing as the four hockey dudes in Letterkenny, right? Where yeah. they go one down the line and the last one the last one in the line is like a little more verbose than the others. Yeah. It's, it's, it is just that joke. It is just that joke repackaged for a new new era. Um, so they they go on a little bit of winning streak. The, the town gets a little more into them, mm-hmm. and the last game of the season they lose to the Sioux, who have been you know just dominating the no show for for several years right. now. And uh, they say, we'll get them again in the playoffs, and that's kind of how it ends. And it's like, no, you assholes. You built this whole season around the fact that if you lose, they're going to fold the team. And you always do what you say. You repeated that dialogue eight fucking times in the six episodes. You kind of feels like you got to follow through on that. But you're telling me you're going to have playoffs? Yeah. Or if you're gonna subvert it, make that like a bigger emotional moment. Like they don't, uh, you know, if they really wanted to make a point that this is different, like we are breaking from our promise, but this is an important reason that we're doing it. You know, 
I think they kind of tried to do that because the last game was pretty well attended, and the whole reason they were going to fold the team is they weren't getting attendance. They wanted butts and seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shorzy drinking game, take a shot every time you hear the phrase butts and seats. Yep. Um, oh, any any die. Shorzy, any drinking game with Letterkenny is tough because, <laughs> again, it's <laughs> the the dialogue is so repetitious that everything's yeah. going to come up two or three times an episode. Um, they were getting attendance. The, the town was kind of behind them. So, like, I, I guess they could, for a second season, say that the town rejected the notion of folding the team. <laughs> Yeah, but I know, it just it feels it feels so weak to like build the whole season around that and then have them lose. It was so easy. You just didn't need to have them lose. <laughs> yeah, like I know you're trying to build it up for the for the big comeback and redemption arc, but like you could have had them make the miraculous second half comeback and you know, still had the cliffhanger of what's going to happen in the playoffs. Are they going to win the championship or not? Like, that was enough. I don't think you needed to, to you know, just abandon your your mm-hmm. premise. And that kind of fucking in the manner they that did. blew the whole thing with Fish. Because that was like a side arc that was going on, right? That Fish was like, he was just one of the regulars who didn't have the fire lit under his ass to... to um, be a really good player yeah. but by the end of he the season he, he got there losing. yeah and like he did yeah and he it, just kind of dropped once we got to the game like that whole thing kind of just dropped off yeah it uh it was one of those things where like it, it felt wholly unnecessary but um Overall, I'd say that if you if you enjoy the humor of Letterkenny, if you like the first few seasons of Letterkenny, um, even if you got a little tired of it in the later seasons like I did, uh, give Shorzy a watch if you're interested in it. Um, like you can absorb the entirety of Shorzy in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very easy to just kind of like accidentally watch all of Shorzy. Right. As we've said, it's not and it's not two hours that drag. It Yeah, it doesn't drag. It's it's pretty well paced throughout each episode leads into another. There are some genuinely really funny mm-hmm. jokes, like uh, got me to laugh out loud. Oh yeah, really, like there's really hard. I, I won't spoil it here because like you should watch it. Like there are just scenes where I don't know why it just fucking it gets me. It gets me. It it slaps my funny bone, and I start going like we didn't even mention Michaels. <laughs> that whole scene where he's like so he's the coach for a while he was he used to be a, a goalie i guess and then he gets fired he he was a goalie then he was a coach and then he gets fired from being the coach and they need him back as the goalie but i guess it's a stereotype yeah. that hockey goalies are like weird i feel like it's the kind of same thing that they say for any sport where like one player is not doing the same thing as every other player right i don't i don't know too much about like off ice antics of hockey players, but I've I had never heard that stereotype. Mm-hmm. But I've never played hockey. I haven't spent a lot of time around hockey players. I pretty much just watch hockey when it's on national television, which is right. not not that, that often anymore. Um, but I guess yeah, I guess the stereotype is that hockey goalies are weird because you know they're not like the rest of the team. They kind of just do their own thing. So he's like. 
So his whole interaction interaction is like <laughs> he's really fucking like neurotic, but also like kind of schlubby. And it's it's this <laughs> it's this goofy ass dynamic where he's like where he's like super soft, you know. Whereas the rest of these hockey guys are all built up on like being real tough and and rough guys, yeah. and he's like this very clean dressed, you know. Um, well put together, you know, um, pretty boy, you might even say. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind yeah. of good comedy right there, kids. There's 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 some some moments of greatness here, and uh, like I said, if you if you, I'd say if you had any interest at all in watching Shorzy, watch Shorzy. Yeah. If you didn't care at all um hard to recommend watching it like if you're if you mm-hmm. didn't want to see it if you actively didn't want to see it if you were ambivalent again it's two hours you'll get some laughs out of it uh lord knows there have been longer movies that had less humor in them <laughs> space jam <laughs> um yeah um and if you've never seen letter kenny just wa- this is fine watch this like i i promise you yeah you are just, you are not missing this, out this on a, anything if you have not watched Letterkenny prior to this. It'll give you this show will give you everything you need of the Letterkenny experience. All right, that's going to wrap it up on episode three twenty six of the Saturn Studs podcast. Getting you out of here in a brisk two hours. Been a while since we could say that. Um, um, you can check out. Our website, soundstones.com, for old episode archives, links to YouTube channel, Twitch stream, whatnot. Um, and until next time, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye now.